0: Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, here to share everything speech, language, play, development, and all of that other stuff that falls in between. I am so excited to be here with y'all another day because we're going to be getting into developmental disabilities and developmental delays. And there's so much information out there. It is overwhelming. You can even, at this point, go into your smartphone, and the news feed is giving information about development and what's a developmental delay and maybe a disability or maybe they're spotlighting a specific disability that falls under that. But with all of that information, it's really hard to weed out like what's official? What's peer reviewed? What do we really know? What really classifies? Not the, the anecdotal stuff, that like mama and them said, and it doesn't necessarily make sense, but because it's a a person who's popular, but they don't necessarily have the correct letters or education behind them, they're just kind of giving us some stuff. So I'm gonna clear all that up today because I wanna make sure that we are tooled up world changers and that we know what is the what when it comes across our feed, our page, our email, our whatever we search, all right? So let's get this party started. What is a developmental delay? Well, a developmental delay or a developmental disability, it's a group of conditions and it's due to an impairment. Either it could be a physical impairment, it can be learning, it can impact language, behaviors, or it can impact a combination. It might be a combination of physical impairment or language or behaviors in language or learning in language. So it's not just the singular group of conditions, but it also can impact multiple areas of development. And these conditions, it usually starts during the developmental period and it can impact the day-to-day functioning. And it usually in most cases lasts throughout a person's lifetime. And you'll be able to fact check me on this because everything that I'm talking about today will be in my show notes. So my definition, the one that I like the best after I looked at a bunch, I liked CDC's definition the best because it was clear, it was thorough, it gave good information, and they're usually pretty credible, and they're a research-based institution. And everything that they do is driven by research, which makes me feel a little bit better because then I know that they got a pool of people and actually like took the time to classify what this means. And so I know you might be scratching your heads and thinking about, well, what's the developmental period? I heard you say developmental period. Does that mean like from the time the child comes out all the way to 18? Does that mean from 18 to the time that they expire? Like, what does that mean? Well, when we look at development, we expect different things to happen from the time that sugar comes out of the belly. And we expect for different milestones to be hit, whether that is a physical milestone, whether that is a learning milestone, whether that is a behavioral or a social milestone or a language milestone. And the the milestones during the birth to five years are the ones that we're usually paying the most attention to. And I mean like we've got our magnifying glass on, we're looking close, up center, personal. We wanna know and make sure that these milestones are being hit because everything from birth to five is literally like a little bit of a step to the next thing that sugar has to learn. One thing impacts the other. And so when we're not seeing these developmental milestones being met and we're seeing such large gaps between what we expect sugar to be doing and what they're currently doing, or it's taking longer for them to meet those milestones than it does compared to other peers and not just peers in the United States, but literally peers across the globe, people their same age. This is what we expect them to do between this age and this age. I can look at any little sugar from birth to five. I don't even have to speak the same language, but I can observe them and I expect for certain things to be happening with them. And of course we take cultural differences into consideration, but even still, there are physical things that we expect to be happening. There are language milestones we expect to happen across the board. Like there's behaviors that we expect to happen across the board, no matter what. And what do I mean by that? Maybe blowing kisses, right? If mommy blows kisses at me, can I blow them back? Waving hello, that is universal. Like if you put your hand up, you expect to see, I say around 12 months, a little sugar, like getting in there and cracking up and giving a hello or shying away from the adult that's giving them the hello because they're not ready for that social exchange because maybe it's somebody unfamiliar. It's not mom, stranger danger. I don't want to deal with that, right? Answering to their name. We expect that to happen anywhere around six months old. We expect sugar to respond to their name. And not only do they respond to their name, they're going to look at you. And even at some point, they're going to make a sound trying to engage some kind of communication like, huh? What? Right? And you see their little faces like, and they turn around really fast and they have like this super alert look on their face because they're like, hey, I'm ready for this. Let's get this party started. Let's talk about this thing real quick. A physical developmental milestone, crawling, because we know that crawling turns into walking and walking turns into running. So those are all milestones that we expect to happen. And so when we think about, you know, these milestones and we think about these gaps, there's been enough research at this point and there's been enough information collected to where we can give some of these developmental disabilities a name, right? And so some of them We're going to talk about a little bit and I'm going to get you guys familiarized with them and all of the developmental disabilities I'm going to mention either again, falls under physical, falls under learning, falls under language, falls under behavior. And again, multiple things can happen within one developmental disability, not just a thing, but multiple things that impact the learning, the physical, the language or behaviors, or again, it might just impact one area. So let's dig into it motor disorders, and learning difficulties. Anytime you're looking at motor, you're looking at either big movements, you're walking, or if you look at your arm and you flex your muscles really quick, that's a gross motor movement. That's a big movement, right? When you're in the mirror and you're like flexing to see if your Apple fitness is working, like that's gross motor, totally gross motor, right? But if you're thinking about how you chew your food, you hear my smacking sounds very cool, right? If you're thinking about a pincer grasp, if you're taking in a pincer grasp is like if you're picking up that pencil or you're picking up something really tiny, those are your fine motor moves. And so we think about big motors and small motors. So we think about motor disorders and learning difficulties, things like, if I give you some information, can you hold on to it and can you organize it, right? So that falls under like the dyslexias, the Tourette syndromes, the dyspraxias, the dysgraphias, and the dyscalculia. I'm not going to go into deep, 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 deep definitions of what those are uh, today, just because then we'll be here all day. And I know you love hanging out with me, but I highly doubt you want like three or four hours of me breaking down each and every, uh, disability. So I'm going to give you guys like the umbrella, and I'm going to give you some information about names. You can further do some research on some of those names if you want to, but just for purposes intended, we're going to just stick to like some of the names, right? Another developmental disability, autism or Asperger syndrome, and we call that autism spectrum disorder. Everybody by now knows what the autism spectrum disorder is, at least knows what the word is. Maybe not what comes along with it. It's a spectrum for a reason. And a lot of times when information is given, it's misgiven because there's just now starting to be a little bit more of inclusion and a little bit more of valid information to show that just because you're on the autism spectrum doesn't mean that it's gonna be the most severe of severe cases. And it doesn't always mean that it's gonna be mild. It means where it's like impacting your social skills. It means that you're gonna fall or a child who has it or an adult who has that diagnosis is going to fall somewhere on the spectrum. Everybody looks different. But in general, we expect that it's going to cause some difficulties with communication because the core of it is social. It's being able to exchange in reciprocity with your fellow other people around you or to do it in a different way right it can impact your speech it can impact understanding body language so they understand their body language but they might not understand what your body language is trying to communicate with them because as much as we rely on our verbal communication we rely so much so on on nonverbal communication so if i had my hand under my chin and i'm looking out the side of my eye in the corner and i have my head tilted then you're going to think to yourself this chick's giving me the side eye so like sometimes that could be difficult for them to pick up on what it is that you're trying to communicate maybe not understanding why you want to hug or kiss or if it is an unexpected movement or a new something they just might not be able to pick up on that not all But some, again, spectrum, it shows up completely different in other people. It can impact social interactions. It can create difficulty in understanding others like sarcasm. And oh my gosh, in the American culture between our slang and our sarcasm, oh my gosh, it, it can make things a little bit tricky because things are perceived as I take it for what it is. So If you say it's raining cats and dogs, like, don't be surprised if they look up. And I've had students who will look up and be like, where and why? And no, it doesn't. Like, Ms. Sharina, it's not raining cats and dogs. That doesn't happen. And so they might take that information literally. And so you have to be really careful. In some cases, this is not everyone, about how you use language. There may be difficulties with understanding people's feelings. Like, if you fell down and started crying... They might not always understand that. Or maybe they do. It might be other communication or, excuse me, other feelings that they might not pick up on. They might not perceive, especially if they're not observing your body language or picking up on those feelings on your face or or those how your body language is conveying without words what it is that you're feeling. You might also see some stimulation, some overstimulation, some sensory behaviors like hand flapping or toe walking or concentrating on doing the same thing over and over and over again. We call that repetitious movement or repetitious behaviors. Another developmental disability that, you know, mainstream culture is pretty familiar with is Down syndrome. Down syndrome at this point is usually diagnosed in utero. What do I mean by in utero? When mom is pregnant. When mom is pregnant by... I believe 3 or 4 months they can do testing to determine whether or not your little sugar has down syndrome. And it's a it's a little sugar who's born with two copies of chromosome 21. And this extra copy of the chromosome, it can impact the brain. It can impact the body. It can cause physical and mental challenges for the sugar and again, that can even be a spectrum on where a sugar lies with their level of severity with Down syndrome. So I've talked about my niece before, and we found out early on that she had a diagnosis of Down syndrome. And so my sister had her when I was still a kid. And so I grew up with her and this, and it was completely normal in our house. Like there was nothing any different because honestly she met all of her milestones. The only thing that was really, I think different was that it was difficult to understand some of her speech because her tongue was enlarged, which is a characteristic of Down syndrome, like they have enlarged tongues, So it makes speaking sometimes difficult to understand. And her rate of speech is fast. And so sometimes you have to slow her down in order to understand what she's saying. But as far as like meeting her developmental milestones, she absolutely met most of her developmental milestones, like pretty spot on. And she's, really functional now. She's an adult and she's not a young adult. Like she's an adult adult and she's out in the community and she works and she's hilarious and she gets along just fine. So she would be more on the higher end. Some of the sugars are more on the lower end. And this goes back to what I said earlier to where it depends on what areas are impacted. And, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, if sugar has an additional diagnosis to the first diagnosis so sometimes with down syndrome you can have autism or adhd there's other things that could come along with down syndrome outside of just down syndrome which definitely impacts the development and it impacts the way that sugar learns but each individual sugar is different and so you really have to look at that sugar to determine like what's going on, the level of severity, and your professionals, the people around you, they can help you out. They can help give you that additional information. Another developmental disability. This one's not widely known. Some people have heard of it. It depends on how deep you get into this stuff, but Fragile X syndrome. It's thought to cause autism and intellectual disabilities, but usually in boys. I can't speak a lot to Fragile X as much as I know what it is. I just haven't experienced it enough to speak intelligently to it. And so I'm going to leave it alone because that's wise. It's not wise to talk about things you don't know. It's better to get the information and then come back. But I do know that that is a developmental disability and not too many of those cases have landed in front of my desk and and in front of me in clinic. And so I don't have a whole, whole lot to speak on it except to say that yes, it is a developmental disability. It exists. It it has a link between it and autism and other intellectual disabilities, right? Pervasive developmental disorder. We call that PDD-NOS. And in the past, that would be grouped together with autism. But it's been kind of put into its own category. It used to be called high-functioning autism, but it really is PDD. And it really impacts the social. It, It impacts your social skills. It impacts your communication it impacts um, behavior because again, if you're having a hard time interpreting the behaviors around you, and if you're having a hard time learning how to use language to advocate and have that understanding as to why I should be using language to communicate, it can make that, that reciprocity really, really challenging. And some sugars have a hard time with that and need support to figure out how do I communicate and it not be a huge deal for me And how do I do my best with what is, what those, I guess, anxieties are and what those challenges and difficulties are in order for me to get along in society. A lot of times these sugars, everything else, the learning, the physical and the language itself, like learning language itself is pretty okay. It really does come down to how do I use this language to communicate because that's two different things. Your language is the stuff that you understand and the language of vocabulary that you use in order to express yourself. But if you're having a difficult time taking that next step and using that language to communicate or talk to others, then there can definitely be some social and behavioral challenges that come along with that. But with the right, again, the right support team can definitely hook you up and make sure that you're on the right path. Fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. This is... To me, when I learned about this one in grad school, this one broke my heart because this one means that there was the possibility of a sugar coming out, typically developing. But because mom had some alcohol and not like a sip of alcohol, but usually drank pretty excessively during that pregnancy, little Sugar ended up with fetal alcohol spectrum syndrome. And it is a range. And this is in no way to like attack moms out there who do suffer from alcoholism because it really is a disease. And in a lot of these cases in fetal alcohol syndrome cases, like mom did not have control and needed support and needed her own tools to get herself to where she needed to go and get herself to her purpose. But it can impact our sugars. It can definitely cause developmental disabilities. And oftentimes kids with fetal alcohol syndrome bear off a lot worse than little sugars who have other like developmental disabilities that they were predisposed to have, like autism, like PDD NOS, like Down syndrome and on and on and on, just because it impacts the way that the brain develops and the brain just misses out on a lot of things that it needs during that time. Because sugar during that time is making rapid growth in a very limited amount of time. So for like the moms were like, limited amount of time? Have you been pregnant before? I've been pregnant twice. It doesn't feel limited at all. But with what is going on with little sugar for that 40 weeks, we expect for a lot to happen during that time. And so the alcohol definitely gets in the way of the brain development, hence creating fetal alcohol syndrome. Cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is a group of disorders that impact the physical. It impacts the ability to move those big movements, those gross motors. Again, think about when you're in the mirror and you're flexing and you're doing your stuff with your arms. Big movements, right? If you're running, big movement. If you're doing little pincer grabs for little tickles, little movements. And so it can impact the movements that sugar makes, and it can make it really difficult for them to get around. Some sugars have cerebral palsy and they just have difficulties with movement. Other sugars have cerebral palsy and they have difficulties with learning and other things go on that accompany that. It again, just depends. Intellectual disability. Intellectual disability, sometimes they call it mental retardation. Sometimes it's intellectual disability. Either way it goes, no matter what your pleasure is, what it's like chocolate cake, vanilla cake, whatever you like, however you like to label it. Just know that it's defined as having an IQ below 70, along with limitations in adaptive functioning. And it's usually prescribed before 18 years of age. Now, saying all that to say, there was one case that I knew of and I experienced for myself with someone and helped advocate to where services within the school They just weren't there. And medical services, it just wasn't there. In other words, the child was overlooked and the child became an adult and didn't get diagnosed with intellectual disability until after the age of 18. This is very rare, very rare. Like I don't have any stats or data on it, but I know that it is rare because usually we catch it, especially now With us monitoring milestones, the way that we monitor milestones within the medical community and the educational community, it is very rare for a sugar to be overlooked at this point in time. It usually impacts learning. It usually impacts not just learning, but like reasoning and problem solving and not just like in the books, but also with daily living. And what I mean by daily living, not just getting up and getting dressed, but like making decisions that are safe and that can get them through the day without needing some kind of support. And that doesn't mean that these sugars don't master anything because that is totally not true. Everybody's good at something and everybody has something to master, but it just takes them a bit longer to master it in most cases. And so they need more opportunity to get on top of things. And then finally, finally, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. This one is known as ADHD. Try saying that five times. My goodness. ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder and it's characterized by executive functioning. Now I've talked about executive functioning before World Changers. I committed a whole show to executive functioning. And I'm gonna give you like the brief, This is what executive functioning is. It sounds more fancy than what it really fares out to be. It usually impacts attention span, thinking skills, self-control. Like I just wanted to DDT my friend. And so I ran and I did it. And yeah, after I thought about it, it didn't make sense, but I did it. And so, hey, look, judge me. (laughs) And finally, emotional regulation. Like there's difficulties handling the anger or difficulty handling, frustration, difficulties handling, whatever it is, it's just heightened. And so you imagine everything is on like a thousand. And so a lot of times the psychologist teams up with the family and gets the family tooled up to get them what they need in order to get sugar, to be able to pay more attention, to help with the thought process, to help with the self-control and to help with the emotional regulation. Sometimes world changers will change diet, they'll make sure sugar doesn't have as much sugar, and they'll do different things to try to help balance that brain and body, because a lot of times what goes in your body definitely influences your brain, especially if you're already predisposed to be a little bit more hyperactive, and so you could definitely get some support around that. And so those are the developmental disabilities that classify, aka as a developmental disability. Gosh, I hope that sentence made sense, (laughs) y'all. And so after hearing about that, I mean, I can ask you the question, are developmental disabilities the same? If you have questions, are developmental disabilities the same? After hearing that breakdown, no, cerebral palsy is much different than autism. Autism is much different than fetal alcohol syndrome. Sometimes the symptoms are the same, like what you see, Right, What shows up may look the same, but the diagnosis in itself, the cause is totally different. So no, they're not the same. And to make matters even more wonky, to throw that monkey wrench in there for you, the severity level comes into play, right? So you can have cerebral palsy and may be on the milder end. You may have a motor disorder or a learning disorder and be on the milder end, or you can have that learning disorder and be on the more severe end and have another diagnosis accompanied with that. And so it really just depends. Like again, you can have autism spectrum disorder and have ADHD. It is not uncommon at all. You can have ADHD and maybe have high functioning autism. It's almost like, and I'm not being funny at all and I'm not being insensitive, but it it can definitely be a cocktail of things that happen. And so it's really difficult to say or judge by the label. And that's what I'm getting at. Like, just because you hear the label, don't judge. Because you just don't know what else is going on and whatever else has been prescribed or diagnosed. And so every sugar doesn't look the same. And so we have to be really, really careful because we can have the same two kids born at the same time with the same diagnosis and look completely different. Completely different, right? And so that's when we get into, are the outcomes the same? Well, that's an obvious if, your diagnosis isn't the same and your level of severity of mild, moderate, severe are not the same, then no, your outcomes are not gonna be the same. Uh, First things first, let's think about outcomes and what impacts outcomes. Early detection can impact our outcomes. The earlier we find out doesn't change the diagnosis, but it definitely does give us more time to be proactive. It gives us more time to get more support to get more understanding as parents, right? What's going on with my sugar? How do I support them? Help me understand what behavior is happening. What can I do at home? And not only that, if sugar isn't diagnosed at birth, and lots of sugars are, like with Down syndrome, again, as long as you get your genetics testing at three or four months, then you know what's to come, which gives you time to kind of prepare Whereas with some other developmental disabilities, you really don't find out until certain milestones hit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So, early detection is key. Not only is early detection key, but being really familiar with developmental norms. Every sugar is going to grow and they're going to develop and they're going to do something different. We expect in most cases for sugar from day one to week 10 to do something different. From week 10 to week 20, from week 20 to week 30, and on and on and on, right? We expect our sugar from age one to age two to do something different. But we need to make sure within that, that they're following certain norms and certain expectations and certain milestones are being met. And so we really wanna know what's expected. Does it fall on the lower end? is it on the higher end what what's even on the higher end right we want to know this stuff because it'll give us a gauge and it'll give us a comparison tool right maybe sugar was a walker at eight or nine months but didn't necessarily start talking until 13 months or 14 months so that tells us something already gross motor moving that's their thing speaking and talking may not be their thing right now, or the body was focused on one thing over the other. There's a bunch of different reasons, but we need to make sure that we know what's expected. What should my little sugar be doing? And going back to, are the outcomes all the same? No, once again, why? Because early intervention with the right team is going to tell you so much. Like it's going to predict your long-term outcome, right? Is your team getting you involved? Do you understand what is occurring? Do you know how to connect with your sugar? Not just connect with your sugar like, yeah, I know how to get them things. I know how to give them hugs. I know how to play tickles. But like, no, do you know how to connect with your sugar to help support the gaps in development? That's what I mean, right? Can you do it in a fun way? Can you do it in a fashionable way that works for your team, right? Are you getting that? If you're not getting that, then you need to start asking some deeper questions the earlier that you involve yourself in the process, the better the outcomes, right? Because you don't want to rely so much on your team to the point of where it's the end all be all and you can't do what they do because what if they decide to up and move? What if you decide to up and move? Life changes, life happens. What if a pandemic happens, huh? (laughs) And you don't get, and your team's not around for some time until the world figures out how to safely be in community with each other. These Things happen, right? They really happen. We've learned that the last two years. And so not only is understanding like developmental norms important, but also knowing how to be sugar's biggest advocate, right? And so that goes into, I've had world changers come into my office and they are involved from day one. They're contributing as much as they can contribute. They're supporting, they're changing what they need to change. They're making it work for them. And I see little sugars benefit from that. Whereas on the other hand, when I have world changers who may be a little bit sluggish in accepting the diagnosis, and that stuff takes time, or may be a little bit sluggish in carrying over goals, or trying to make things work for them, or doing things, or just still in a place to where the, you know acceptance is key, what can I do usually comes after acceptance. But if we haven't gotten to acceptance, then it's really hard to make any changes Or if we get to a place to where we lament so much to the point of where we can't see past the diagnosis and see sugar for who they are. In the end, at the end of the day, they're the ones who don't benefit from you being their advocate. Like they really, really need you. And so this is where like your resilience world changer really kicks in. Like resilience is key. I was reading that somewhere the other day about like resilience and the ability to just get up. And that's literally what has to happen in these cases, especially if you got a diagnosis later down the line to where you really have to get past acceptance fast or be working on acceptance while working with your sugar to get them where they need to go. Because, again, the earlier we can get in there, the earlier we can accept, the earlier we can get the right team on board, the better the outcome is for your sugar. So don't take that for granted, world changer. That was not in the show notes. So I'm wondering who that was for. And if it was for you, email me and tell me if I can help you out at questions at I've got this kid.com. Next question Is it appropriate to experience increased stress? World changers. Oh my gosh. So, in addition to homeschooling, I'm also working on my clinical doctorate. And guess what I'm working on? Parent stress. And parent stress is there a relationship between parent stress and expressive language delays? And The verdict is, yes, there's gonna be increased stress, right? Parenting is stressful. Bringing home a new person after you've carried that person for 40 weeks around and all of a sudden they're hungry all the time. If you're nursing, if you're a nursing parent, you have to, you know, become the primary source of feeding. If you are used to sleeping a full eight hours, you know, and all of a sudden that is being rocked by every two or three hours or some kind of crazy new sleep schedule, that's stressful. Tell me that's not stressful. Even if you are the best parent or you have the best schedule and you and your spouse have this whole system in place, the idea of something interrupting your norm is going to cause some kind of stress. It is insanity to think that it's not going to cause some kind of stress, right? So from birth to three, especially when you hit that you know 24 months and they're all of a sudden now about everything, OMG, right? So that can be stressful in and of itself. Any kind of adjustment is going to be stressful, but there is peer reviewed research out there that says, hey, for some parents who have children with a developmental diagnosis, they are going to have increased stress. For some world changers out there who have a sugar with a developmental diagnosis, There's going to be no stress, some stress, no stress, no stress, some stress. It depends on who you are, what's going on. Are there other factors going on? Are there life factors going on? There's going to be some stress. But let's all agree that just in general, as soon as you bring that little sugar home, typically developing or atypically developing, there's going to be stress. Now, what the research does say, I can say this, and I can attest to this because I've read enough of it, y'all, is that world changers who have sugars with a diagnosis of Down syndrome report less stress. And they argue that it's because, well, they had preparation to wrap their minds around it, right? They they totally had that time to wrap their minds around, hey, my sugar is going to come out and developmental milestones are going to look different for them. But I have this team, this medical community, I have all these people around me who are going to support me and help me early on to get me ready for this. I can wrap my mind around this. Whereas... If you have the sugar who comes out and then around 12 months, you start noticing something don't look right. Something don't feel right. They're not responding to their name. They're not saying mama dada. They're not babbling. They're not responding to anything. It takes a lot to get their attention. It does this. It does that. Like all of these things are unloading, right? Maybe they're not walking. Maybe they're not crawling. Maybe they're just, you know, not paying attention. Maybe they're just, you know, the face is flat and you're in their face and you're trying to goo goo gaga and laugh with them and they're just not having it, right? That's different. There's gonna be a different level of stress around that because you expected sugar to be typically developing. Everything else was fine, right? Medically, they were fine. They hit some milestones, but all of a sudden you have this team of people saying, hey, stuff ain't right. And so, yeah, I expect you to have some increased stress because then there's gonna be all these questions that you have not had the benefit of the rest of your pregnancy and that time to kind of fizzle out like, okay, what does this mean? Does this mean that forever I have to take care of them? Does this mean that they won't be able to go to regular school? What does this mean, right? And so that's why it's so important going back into the outcomes. And the level of severity, understanding what all that means, but most importantly, understanding who your sugar is and where those gaps are. Doesn't mean they're not smart in some areas because I get a lot of that. Well, sugar is smart. Of course they're smart because everyone is good at something in some way. I want them to be, I do. But I also want us to be wise and think about what about those areas that they need some support in? Let's not ignore that. Let's look a little bit closer at that and let's do what we need to do. Let's play for five to seven minutes a day. Let's pay attention to the, that report that they gave me that I don't understand, and let me ask some questions. We studied, like I was trained to study those reports, but to a layperson who, maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you are an educated stay-at-home mom, but maybe you studied oceanography or something like that. When you look at that report, that stuff is foreign language, right? And so just make sure that you understand those reports. Make sure that you understand what's there. World changer. Now is not the time to pretend like something isn't happening when it really is. I want you to be tooled up. That's why I come here and I talk to you guys and I tell you guys the real because you know what? We don't always get the luxury of what's really going on. And I want you guys to be in that place to know, hey, this is going on. I don't have to like it. But I can do something about it and I could do a little bit better and I could push my sugar to purpose because they're here and they have a purpose, too. So how do you become proactive by what I just said? Also, know that you're not alone. There's other people out there who feel the way that you do. You're not an island. They're scared. They may be uncomfortable. They may be in denial. It's all of these things are normal. Anytime you find out information contrary to what you thought it was going to be, it's not going to be fun. It's just not. But if you're in that place and you're like, I already knew, I'm comfortable with it. What do I do? I know I'm not alone. I got my community. What's next? Continue to find tools that work for you. Continue to find tools that work for your sugar. And not only that, find somebody else who's in that place. That one who's grumpy, the one that's like looking at you during drop off and like, you know, they're barely saying hi to anybody and they look like, you know, the struggle is still real. Know that they may need some support and they may need a you who got it together to help them out. And that most of the time when people are mean and angry, it's usually because they're hurting. And when people hurt, they have a tendency to hurt others. And so just be mindful of that. Everybody's in a different place at a different time. And they may just need a smile, a hug, a something. Okay, an elbow. COVID. Elbow. Please. Elbow. With a mask. Please. Please. All right, y'all. World changers. You know what? Tooling you guys up is one of my favorite things to do. And again, that is the premise of this show, is for us to get the stuff that we may not get during the IEP, at the doctor's office, in the preschool meeting, wherever it is that we are. That's the point of this. So you guys, continue to send me questions at questionsthativegotthiskid.com because there's no such thing as a silly question, just an unanswered question. Also, I've created a tool to help you guys in my upcoming book, Watch me connecting to your child through play. Man, it is important for us to know not just the diagnosis and what, you know, the goal is, but also like, how do I go home and do stuff that makes sense for me and makes sense for my sugar? And how do I establish play when maybe they don't want to play with me? Maybe they don't want to do with me. Maybe I don't know how to play with them. Maybe I don't want to play with them. Maybe their behaviors is, is kind of like getting me, it's turning me off. That's a real thing. It happens, Right. Everyone brings something to the relationship whether it's positive or not so positive, but we have the power to change it. And that's the point of this book is for us to have the power to take something to change it and to make it work for us. So, I'm tooling you guys up via book, y'all. So, research has shown again and again and again and again that to increase your parent-child relationship, to increase the language skills, to increase play skills, to increase the attention and the focus and the vocabulary and the social skills is literally through play. And I don't even require a lot of time. I'm not asking for an hour of play. I'm usually asking for five to seven minutes of play, just consistency to go along with it. And I'm gonna spell out how to you in this book. I also provide practical tips and tools that you can use immediately to increase healthy interactions and development. So you, what you can do right now, as soon as you're done listening to this episode is sign up on the interest list below so you could get special insider pricing before it hits the public because it's coming y'all. We're coming gunning. I've been talking about it. We're ready for it. We're gunning. We're getting our little last few I's dotted and T's crossed and we're coming for you. And I want you guys to be tooled up. That's why we do this. World changers, no matter where you fall. Again, there is something that you can do to move forward. Whether you want to know more about your sugar's diagnosis, whether you want to gain more skills to support your sugar, I'm here for you. So check out my website at I'veGotThisKid.com. Connect with me for support, for coaching, for guidance, and generally an extra set of hands to become the best world changer that you could possibly ever be because, hey, nothing feels good like success, right? And we got to try in order to be successful. Everything I've mentioned today is in the show notes below. Do not miss that. Y'all know, I'm going to say it time and time again. I am not a plagiarist. So go ahead and look at those links. I've got the CDC down there. I've got some Wikipedia down there. I've got some stuff down there just again to get us tooled up. Just to get you some information, do not be an island, do not be a stranger, but also find that balance. Don't overwhelm yourself with so much information. Don't overwhelm yourself to the point of where you just put yourself in a corner and you're just ready to fall apart. Find that balance, get educated, but get proactive. Okay. All right, y'all we're in this together. So until the next time I'll see y'all take care.